We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. To a new episode of Sox Machine Live, I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It is Thursday night, November 2nd, 2023, as we are live streaming this episode on our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash And for those that are listening to the audio version of this show, you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. Quite a bit to talk about here, as uh, last night, the Texas Rangers had a very tight game. Zach Gallen was outstanding for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was no-hitting the Texas Rangers halfway through the game, and in true Texas Rangers fashion, the offense comes around late, uh, the eighth inning, a big Marcus Simeon home run, and the Texas Rangers win game five, five to nothing, and they win the World Series in five games and Jim, as far as the World Series goes, a- after Game 1, Game 1 was very entertaining. And the Diamondbacks owned Game 2. The Diamondbacks blew out the Rangers. So maybe as an Arizona Diamondbacks fan, you feel like, hey, we should be up 2-0. But what's so impressive about this World Series win for the Texas Rangers, they went undefeated on the road. Like the White Sox did that in 2005, mm-hmm. right? The White Sox went 6-0 and on the road. Uh, the Rangers went 11-0 and in this postseason on the road. That's incredible. Yeah, the White Sox had home field advantage for their entire run through the American League, so they didn't have to worry about like starting a series uh, away from uh, then-U.S. Cellular Field. So they had the ability to get leads, set up pitching staffs the way they want to, get in the other team's bullpen, et cetera, and... That uh, worked out well for them. So, yeah, the Rangers did it a little bit uh, with a higher degree of difficulty. Uh, but I think they showed the depth of the American League and just how good and challenging that AL West was. On the other hand, with the Diamondbacks, like just showed they were a little bit underpowered, which I think was the knock on them going into the October was just like the home run power isn't quite there. Starting yeah. pitching was a little thin. Like they play well as a team. They defend well cover ground, steal some bases, really excel at the margins, but just do they have enough to keep up with teams that can hit the ball out of the park and teams that have like a starting rotation and like the Rangers 
maybe had like one more pitcher than Diamondbacks did. But I guess if you don't have uh, the kind of home run power to knock a starting pitcher out of the game and you can let Andrew Heaney go five, uh, I think that was pretty much the moment where like the the Diamondbacks lost their ability to punch their way back in the series by letting Heaney go five. You know, I guess Bochy mismanaged that game a little bit by having DeClerc come in uh, at the very end. It seemed a little bit unnecessary, kind of overreacting to a closing margin late uh, that presented a slight opportunity, but still required the offense to uh, hit Nate Iovaldi, and they couldn't quite do it. So, yeah, I, I think the better team won, and... Uh, that's good, both from a White Sox perspective, because like the Rangers spent the Rangers spent on premium talent. And there's Corey Seager and there's uh, Marcus Semyon doing the heavy lifting offensively, defensively coming through with big hits, big moments, uh, playing uh, really fine defense when you needed it. On the other hand, like the Diamondbacks prove that like if you slip in, like there's always a chance of just like getting into the uh, World Series. If you just yeah. like get into the six wildcard spot. But it helps to have that talent. It helps to have that extra pitcher. It helps to have that uh, home run power that the White Sox currently lack. So I think like either one uh, presents a an example for the White Sox to learn from. But the better example, the the example that's more fun and less reliant on luck, uh, prevailed here. And uh, this picture always makes me laugh. But congrats to Dane Dunning and Marcus Simeon, old friends. Dane Dunning is a champion. And the photo that I'm using for our podcast listeners of the play-by-play, it, I, I forgot what season this was for his like a spring training uh, opening day headshot where he just has this really goofy smile on his face and he's got the rec specs on. I absolutely love it. And uh, I'm happy for Dane Dunning and Marcus Simeon to, to get their World Series rates. But I just had to use this photo. I tweeted it out. Last night, and uh, yeah, Dane Dunning, Marcus Simeon, old friends and now champions, Jim. Yeah, Dane Dunning has won one. Uh, Adam Eaton has won one. So slowly but surely, the pieces are coming together for the entire, uh, you know, all the participants in the trade working out. And I guess we'll have to see, uh, you know, what exactly happens with like, um, yeah, I guess Lucas Chilito and Ronaldo Lopez ending up in the same place. Lance Lynn, probably out of the plan, so you can't quite count him. Like, Chris Sale has won one. So we're seeing, like, uh, different <laughs> of these trades winning rings, but none of them are on the White Sox. Uh, and so, yeah, it's uh, Luke, if Lucas Giolito, and I think Lopez has to move with them wherever they go, right? They're, yeah, they're a tandem. Yeah. So uh, they, they, they ride a bicycle built for two everywhere they go. And uh, I, I think, yeah, if – they win it next. Then, you know, that trade is basically cursed. <laughs> the White Sox the rebuild was just like, uh, uh, they didn't do enough. And now the baseball gods are just hammering that on them over and over again with like, Nope. See, see what, see what happens when you, uh, you know, make trades that go for when you have Dave Dombrowski leading the charge, see what happens when you hire Bruce Bochy and sign premium free agents, like all these, uh, different, uh, templates to learn from that the White Sox never did. Yeah, uh, Jose Katana hasn't won a World Series yet. But, yeah, to your point, like with the rebuild trades, it's kind of funny. It'd be interesting if everyone the White Sox traded away to start that rebuild, to supposedly start this contention window, ended up winning a World Series elsewhere. Like, yeah. defeating the purpose. <laughs> Katana's on the Mets. So, I mean, like, he's a... Uh... 
I mean, it wouldn't be, you know, that's not the trade. He's not with the you know, team that landed him. But, yeah, it would be the same thing where just like he's still around helping uh, if uh, the rest, you know, they, they get the right manager can can solve some of their issues. Now, with the Texas Rangers winning the World Series, the MLB offseason officially begins. So we do get some awards coming in and some good news on the White Sox front. As long as he still remains with the Chicago White Sox organization, time will tell. Liam Hendricks wins Comeback Player of the Year for Major League Baseball. And when it comes to voting as far as Comeback Player of the Year, this seems to be a pretty easy slam dunk, right, Jim, when it comes to MLB voters for this particular award. For Hendricks and his well-known battle with cancer to come back, even though he didn't pitch much in the Major Leagues, the fact that he pitched at all was quite impressive. Yeah, and I think this is a case where, like, there might have been – other comeback player of the year candidates who produced more. But I remember when Adam Dunn had the terrible year and then he bounced back and like they talk about comeback player of the year. And it's like, it's an award you don't really want to win because that means something terrible happened, especially like if you do it like Adam Dunn, where like you just had like a terrible season the year before, not injured, you know, you didn't lose the entire year. You just, uh, you know, we're, we're in a funk that turned into almost like a, well, pretty much a historically awful season. He just didn't reach the amount of plate appearances to actually qualify for the batting title, but would have uh, had the lowest batting average by plenty, even if you gave him a hit in every single missing at bat that he had. Like, I think if he went like 12 for 12, he still would have uh, set the record by far. But yeah, it's a case where like you aren't seeing people who are – you know, second and third being like, crap, like I should have, that, that award should have been mine. Like it's, it's kind of nice if you win, but depending on why you were in rough shape the year before, like you may not want to dwell on that too much. And it's a case of like Liam Hendricks, like severe misfortune. He uh, battled back from it was, you know, not only on the field, but off the field, like very, um, you know, very proactive with, um, using the attention he was receiving to direct it to causes uh, that helped him out and organizations and such. And, you know, meeting with cancer victims as he's uh, going along or cancer patients, I should say, uh, going, you know, city to city, even when he's on the injured list. So he did a lot, even, you know, when you take away his five appearances on the field and say like, yeah, it just, it, it was a story worth, you know, it was a comeback that's worth honoring and seeing all the way through. And even if somebody, you know, I, don't have anybody offhand, but just, you know, if somebody came from uh, Tommy John surgery and pitched 200 mm-hmm. innings, be like, yeah, you know, it's, you know, good for Liam Hendricks. Not going to complain. I don't think you have any incentives in contracts saying, like, if you wouldn't come back player of the year, you get an extra $50,000 the following year. So I think it's a case where everybody's happy. Like, yeah, that's Liam Hendricks had the comeback story of the year. Uh, no question. And with the MLB offseason, we'll get more awards. We'll get the gold gloves. The Silver Slugger nominees are being announced. We'll see where Luis Robert Jr. stacks up with those awards. He's going to be the only one. After a 101 loss season, he's the only one that we can look forward to as far as having any remote shot of winning any awards. So the focus now for everybody in Major League Baseball is to start preparing for the 2024 season. And the White Sox made another hire into their front office. They hired Paul Yanish, who now had the player development. He'll be the new director of player development for the Chicago White Sox, taking over the role that Chris Getz used to have with the Chicago White Sox before Getz took over as the general manager of the Chicago White Sox. And Paul Yanish, former major leaguer, 
the new White Sox director of player development. He's in charge of every farm system the White Sox have as far as minor league affiliates, Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. And outside of his major league career, when he retired, Paul Yanish went back to his alma mater to Rice University down in Houston, Texas to become their associate head coach, which is their assistant head coach. And in college baseball, if you're not familiar, you're only allowed to pay three coaches, your head coach and two assistant coaches. So Paul Yanish did have a paid coaching job with Rice University, and he was also their head baseball recruiter for the university. This is an interesting hire, Jim, from the perspective of the direction that the White Sox went to take to replace Chris Getz, I should say, to head up an entire farm system. I do not doubt Paul Yanish's ability to identify and develop talent. That's what he's been doing on a college baseball level, taking high schoolers, 18 years old, sometimes 17 years old, work them through your camps, fall ball, and of course the spring season and watch them grow from their freshman year to junior year. And if they're worthwhile, get drafted in the major leagues and seeing new faces all the time and going out there and scouting and watching these high school baseball players and recruiting them to go play for Rice University. Those are unique skill sets that Paul Yanish has. Has he ever managed four minor league affiliates at the same time? Has he ever managed a hundred plus players in a pipeline? I don't know. And he may not have, and he may have to lean on Chris Getz on how to do that. And I'm not exactly sure if Chris Getz was even good at that particular job. So that's why mm -hmm. I'm a bit curious <laughs> in the direction that the White Sox are going. I have other ideas of what this could mean as far as the whole entire organization viewpoint. But Jim, what are your thoughts about Paul Yanish now going from Rice University to now being the player development director for the Chicago White Sox? Well, for one, I'll be able to keep him uh, straight when it comes to like for what, the years they overlapped. I always had to remember which one was Paul Yanish and which one was Paul DeYoung. Uh, the, the soft J's, the Pauls with the soft J's, uh, made me, you know, always had to figure out which was, which, which was the journeyman, which was the Cardinals. And now I'll have them fixed in my brain. So there's that, uh, the question I think with Yanish is, is he the director of player development or with Josh Barfield there, is he more the assistant director of player development with Barfield? executing like a, or, 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 you know, having a stronger hand in the sayings initially as this new administration tries to get off the ground, because like if Yanish is like the assistant, then like, that's fine. Like former pros with some either, you know, front office or roving instructor, or in this case, college experience that tends to be like a, a title that they break in with. And then they, you know, go up the chain if they show an acumen for it or if they show a desire to keep doing it. So like that doesn't strike me as like, um, you know, in, in that situation that Yanish is like, fine, he's probably just a guy right now and we'll see what happens. Uh, but like the way Chris gets touted him, like reading from his quote in the press release saying, um, you know, with 13 years in professional baseball, including nine, in the major leagues and another six years at Rice university where he served as associate head coach, dot, 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 uh, 
and then he said like, and then coaching successfully at a high level program like Rice, like did he coach successfully? Like they haven't had a winning season since he's been there, uh, whether unpaid or paid role. Um, like they just seem like an unremarkable also ran in conference USA. So like, I don't, you know, I don't know if he's successful. I don't know if a case like Rice, you know, which you know, has had some high times and low times, like whether it's hard to be successful there, especially like in uh, with the transfer portal, like if that makes it harder on a team like them. And so they'll just be kind of cursed to be uh, a second division club in college baseball, unless they have some, you know, some, some hot years where they get the right transfers or players don't transfer but like that's a case where like you know if i'm reading that quote and then gets is trying to sell me on the director like i'm thinking like nah not quite there yet like i'm not buying it like have to see it to believe it. not going to rule them out entirely but there's nothing in the body of work that that shows that and i wrote in my post about this afternoon saying like i couldn't quite tell the overlap i couldn't find any professional overlap with gets and uh janish or barfield and janish uh you know Brian Bannister, uh, like he was briefly with the uh, Royals AAA team, but not that uh, time that overlapped with anybody else. Couldn't find any connection. And then our uh, friend Larry from uh, our Southside Sox days uh, shot me a tweet saying that Yanish and Barfield are high school buddies played on the same travel team in Houston. Hmm. So that's like, go. yeah, there's your personal connection. So if it's a case where like, you know, I have – we have a director position. I think he could be good at it, but he's going to basically be the assistant or associate director while we get this thing off the ground and it'll be good like training wheels for him. Then sure, you know, uh, he's as fit as anybody else who would take that kind of job and we'll see what he does with it. But yeah, based on what Barfield said about him being more invested in player development early, even if he is the assistant GM theoretically overseeing more departments than that. Like that makes me think that he's essentially the director of player development. And the person who has the title is somebody who can be in more of a trainee role. The problem you run into that is that Josh Barfield could suddenly be stretched thin. Like if Josh Barfield, Jim is responsible for the future of the Chicago white Sox, having the scouts report to him, working with Mike Shirley, have they made any changes in the international front? I know Chris Getz mentioned that, but I haven't seen any news if Marco Patti is still with the organization or not. I'm uh, assuming he, I, he still is. Yeah, I would assume no news means everything's same. Like if Marco Patti were fired, you'd hear about it. Got it. So Josh Barfield, like trying to figure out White Sox organization. If he's, if he's in charge of like the future White Sox players, who they draft, who they sign internationally, maybe – sign post MLB draft, the, the non-draftees. Okay. So he's got the assisted GM role. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work to manage in your baseball organization to also then try to advise Chris Getz on who they should target in trades and free agents. You get stretched in real quick. And yeah. that's where like a uh, Paul Yanish, uh, my, my perspective is, I think he would actually be a great asset to Mike Shirley because the two would actually be competing against one another when it's come, when it comes to scouting high school players. Mm -hmm. That was Yanish's job is to find high school recruits and convince them to come to Rice University. So I like it from like that perspective of if the White Sox direction moving forward is to draft more high schoolers to get younger in the farm system, then he, I definitely see Paul Yanish being an asset. 
But this job, the director of player development, again, you're overseeing four teams. Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. Not one team. So to have well, somebody be very six. green. Yeah, and oh, that's a good point. The, the, the leagues in Arizona and the Dominican. Okay, so yeah. So six affiliates, Jim. Like, this is not an easy job. And mm-hmm. that's where I, I'm... I'm a bit hesitant. I am a bit concerned. This is a lot of work for Paul Yanish to step into, and maybe he's ready for it. Maybe he's got a great game plan. Maybe he's got a 300-page binder ready to go and hit the ground running for the Chicago White Sox. But as far as, like, the organization, this is why the Los Angeles Dodgers have, like, 90 people in their front office, right? Because they have, like, 20 to 30 people who just focus on this one area Meanwhile, the White Sox have two guys, <laughs> Josh yeah. Garfield and, and Paul Yadish. Like, I wish Yadish the best of luck. I, I'm really curious of, on how he's going to help out, especially if the White Sox do decide to target younger players. I do think he could be an asset, but it is going to be a lot to manage the affiliates. Yeah, I mean, they have added a few positions to help out, like uh, – Josh Barfield was a new position for assistant GM, like Jeremy Haber still on the organizational chart. So he's not replacing Jeremy Haber. There are two assistant GMs where previously there was one Gene Watson now aboard as director of player personnel. So that could be a case of like him, you know, that position being somewhat of an assistant GM to free up uh, Josh Barfield to be more hands-on with the, uh, with the Meyer league system. Because like there, you know, you'll have Gene Watson there doing some of the uh, grunt work for just uh, up and down stuff, you know, promotions, etc. Like you're taking care of just roster moves, etc. So like they have added some bodies, uh, but yeah, they're you know it's very piecemeal at this point, very incremental, and I, I think it's probably going to be a multi-year proposition of trying to figure out who's exactly doing what, who reports to what. Like I uh, remember when. Matt Lyle was brought on to be like the first yeah. White Sox first attempt at being like the hitting director and like remember all his YouTube videos and be like, oh, this guy is you know really advanced and doing stuff the White Sox had never done before. And then he lasted a year because he just didn't really fit with the, what the White Sox were doing. Uh, you know, nobody really listened to him. They didn't have like a po- proper structure for him to really fit in. So he's just kind of preaching and, uh, you know, nobody's really listening. Uh, and so it could be a case of just like, after a year, maybe Paul Yanish goes and they hire somebody else based on just what they feel like they need. So, or maybe they add more positions up top to keep bulking up the front office. So if Chris gets, you know, is somebody who is trying to play the long game with Jerry Reinsdorf and is like trying to manage upwards in terms of saying like, yeah, we can compete. We can hit the ground running, but it's also of the mind of just like, no, we can't hit the ground running. Like we're not in shape to, you know, he's trying to like, uh, you know, get the job, but then like actually do the job. Well, it probably, you probably have to wait to judge a couple things in terms of just exactly what he's trying to do with the structure of the front office, because I don't think that uh, Jerry Reins or somebody like, yeah, we're going to invest. Yeah. Right. $5 million, $10 million into new positions in the front office in one year. It's going to be like a multi-year thing. We're just like, can I have another, you know, 200,000 for this? Can I have another, like just, you know, year after year, kind of adding and adding and adding and hope that, you know, there are some results that allow you to keep building. But that's kind of my read on the situation when it comes to what Chris Getz is trying to do. It like is, you know, I, I think same kind of thing with Pedro Grafal. Like, I think 
Right now, Griffol is the manager because Jerry Reinsdorf wants to be the manager. So Getz has to play, play along and play nice and stay in Reinsdorf's favor. But then, like you know, if you see the you know hiring Brian Bannister, trying to hire uh, a new hitting infrastructure, like he's trying to make changes around that. I imagine when it comes to the minor league system, when it comes to the size of the front office, it'll be similar. Uh, that there won't be any kind of windfall or that new ownership brings with like, yeah, we're, we're moneyballing this or we're, you know, Houston Astrosing this or whatever you want to call it for having a modern sized front office. Instead, it's going to be this piece by piece, position by position, uh, hoping to keep adding. And then if you have to subtract guys, hopefully you don't lose that position. Uh, and, and uh, you know, Ryan Sorf doesn't see it as inessential. We did get this comment during our YouTube stream from As In Rec. As In Rec wrote to us that Vinny Duber, who is the beat reporter for CHGO, the Chicago White Sox, uh, in his story, he wrote that the Paul Yadish said that White Sox ex-skipper Tony La Russa is, it, quote, in some of our meetings. And we, we know that Tony is involved. Uh, yeah. I, I think there's been a lot of outcry on, on social media uh, right now, uh, when, when it comes to Tony La Russa being involved, you were in Birmingham, Jim, and you and you were told that La Russa was. Yeah, in I didn't Birmingham. see him, but yeah, I guess he was there uh, throughout the week. Yeah. So yeah, we we know that La Russa is involved. He is the eyes and ears for Jerry Reinsdorf in these meetings. That's that's just my working assumption on why Tony is there. Uh, but yeah, so Paul Yadish, best of luck. He's the new track. Director of Player Development, taking over for Chris Getz. He is now in charge of the White Sox farm system. Uh, big job. Big job. And uh, I'm not going to say a lot is writing on Paul Yanish, but the White Sox have some interesting pieces, especially yeah. with how the Arizona Fall League is unfolding. Brian Ramos, Colson Montgomery, they're hitting a lot better as the season uh, continues on uh, with how the season started for them down in Arizona. Then there's all the pitchers that the White Sox have acquired, but there's much work to be done. So be interested to see on how Paul Yanish is going to attack this new role with the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. The, uh, the good news is like, he doesn't have a hard act to follow. The bad news is that act he's following is now the GM. Yeah. It's his boss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, when, it, when it comes to the MLB offseason, so it has started on November 2nd, 10 days. Okay, so by November 12th, there are some decisions to be made across Major League Baseball in the next five days uh, as we are streaming this live. So if you're listening to the podcast, it'll be four more days that teams that are going to be free agents have this window to re-sign with their existing ball club. So the Atlanta Braves signed reliever Joe Jimenez to a three-year contract. Max Muncy is going to be staying with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So there was an option and the Dodgers signed Muncy to a new two-year, $24 million contract. There is a third-year club option for $10 million. So it can be three million, three years, I'm sorry, $34 million in total. But Max Muncy will be staying with the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's the biggest name so far that has resigned. But there's a lot more decisions to be made in the next 10 days, uh, especially for the Chicago White Sox and the rest of Major League Baseball. But for those that have been participating in the offseason plan project, you guys already know this. And I'm really enjoying all the offseason plans that have been posted on SoxMachine.com. I think there have been some great ideas. We'll be touching on some of those ideas, uh, some of our favorite ideas in upcoming podcast episodes. But today I posted my offseason plan on SoxMachine.com. And this is an opportunity, Jim, for you to critique or let's just straight up make fun of my offseason plan. Because I got to tell you, folks, this was not easy. Like trying to come up (laughs) with the plan that kind of made sense in trying to accomplish what Jerry Reinsdorf wants this upcoming season, which is supposedly contend, while trying to not mortgage any avenues or paths in 2025 as far as trading away any talent you have is a really tricky balance and i'm not entirely sold on myself with the plan that i have put together that this is going to contend with the minnesota twins for the american league central Uh, but for those that didn't get a chance to read my plan yet and those that are watching youtube or listening to the podcast So my off-season plan, Jim, starts with some unrealistic things, like things that are definitely not going to happen, but I am pretty stronghold, like this is a hill that I'm willing to die on, should happen. What is going on with Craig Council is surprising me. And I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, where I thought maybe Council will take some time off to be with his family. That was the early rumor coming out of Milwaukee. Uh, because he was and he's going to be a free agent right now on November 2nd. Craig Council is a manager free agent. His contract with the Milwaukee Brewers expired on Halloween. And I thought maybe you just take a break. However, Council has interviewed with the Cleveland Guardians because Terry Francona is not coming back for health reasons. The Guardians were paying Francona $4.5 million a season. If they're willing to continue paying that amount, well, that's a lot more than what Craig Council was making in Milwaukee. And of course, with David Stearns taking over with the New York Mets and the Mets parting ways with Buck Showalter and they need a manager. Well, all of a sudden, the poor Milwaukee Brewers are looking at a very good manager who has a good track record with that organization, having incredible leverage, Jim. And my mm-hmm. first unrealistic part of my offseason plan Fire Pedro Gafal and damn it, hire Craig Council. 
Who cares if you are paying three managers? The Las Vegas Raiders right now have to pay their two head coaches, John Gruden and Josh McDaniel, like $80 million over the next five seasons. There are worse situations in professional sports right now. I'm sure there are some universities that are paying like four head coaches right now in football. But go ahead, fire Patrick Griffall. Higher Craig Council, I would feel a lot better about the White Sox chances in 2024 and beyond if they went this route, Jim. Yeah, I'm trying to think where, where I saw it. I think it was an athletic article where they talked about Council and just like he's keeping an open mind because like there was a source close to him saying like he wants to set the market rate for managers. Like he wants to raise the pay floor for managers. Like it's very important to him. So you know, the Mets make a lot of sense because of David Stearns and what Steve Cohen is willing to spend. The guardians also pl- make a fair amount of sense because like they kept Terry Francona and like for as long as he was there, you never heard about like Francona, you know, entertaining other jobs, anybody like buying him away from Cleveland. Like I think they took care of him pretty well. Uh, and it makes sense because like, if you pay your manager like an extra million dollars, you might be able to save how many millions uh, when it comes to like playing young players, like integrating your um, yeah, your farm system into your 26 man roster, uh, piecing together platoons for cheaper, uh, working around like bullpen days and such. Like if your manager is really good at working with the ingredients you have, then that probably saves so much money that, yeah, may as well. If Francona wants, uh, you know, 4 million instead of three, give it to him. Because like, if you go to uh like a Pedro Grafal type uh, who uh, can only manage half the roster because he's scared of the other half. Like that just <laughs> might, uh, you know, backfire and everything and just set him back, you know, two years and cost him how much money. So that's why I think the guardians make some sense. If the guardians see councils, a similar thing. And, and sure enough, like when you look at the rosters, the brewers put out and how much uh, patching they do along the way to get a lineup working and to get uh, enough of a pitching staff going, like he is cut from the same cloth, I think. And just uh, being like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work with what you give me, you know, go for it. I'll, I'll have some input, but you know, ultimately like I'll find a way to get it done. So I think the guardians make sense for him to look at and to pump his value. And I guess Milwaukee is still in play if they pony up and you know, if they pony up. Yeah. Which, you know, like they might just because like they're under the same smaller market pressures as Cleveland in terms of like how much money has council saved them by maximizing the talent they've had on hand. So I think it's a very realistic, you know, equation they have to weigh is just, you know, we might be paying Craig Council two million more than what we want to pay him, but will it work out and you know, or, or like, will it poison the water in terms of like are our standards so high for them now that if they, if one of their seasons go sideways, do they start to hold it against them? Like I can see it being a case of just, yeah, you know, there is a case of when, once you're getting paid to what you're worth, the target's on your back a little bit. So uh, that's something I think would be a pressure in Milwaukee that maybe isn't in New York, but that's, I, I think it makes sense for him to cast a, a, a wide net to not turn any jobs down that uh, or, or not turn any interviews down. I should say where, the organization has shown a pattern of treating their managers. Well, um, I don't think Chicago is that, but yeah, I mean, if you're going <laughs> to make like, if you're going to like have a miracle turnaround with having a roster uh, be greater than the sum of its parts, then it does take somebody like council who has done that job in Milwaukee. The last seven 
straight seasons in Milwaukee. The Brewers have exceeded their actual win total from their expected win total. That's impressive. The last six full 162-game seasons, the Milwaukee Brewers are averaging 90.6 wins per season. Could you imagine if the White Sox had that type of run? Man, we would... Mm -hmm. We'd be complaining that they haven't won a World Series, but at least they would be winning. <laughs> you know, like that would be an yeah. incredible stretch. And obviously, Milwaukee's done a great job in player development, and they've done a great job strategically with their signings and trades. It's not all Craig Council, but Council's been a big part of why the Milwaukee Brewers have been successful as long as they have been, especially the last 662 game seasons. And man, if he's available and he still wants to manage, I, I'm not even thinking twice, whatever, you know, Pedro Grafal, you could join Lurie Garcia uh, in the off season home where White Sox just have these dead contracts, you know, go join Lurie over there in the corner. Craig, please save our clubhouse. Please save our team for 2024 and beyond. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I'm trying to figure out like what who would be the most emblematic of like, I guess Jeff Kepinger is like still the ultimate case of just the guy getting paid to not play for the White Sox because they just like after like months of rehabbing, trying to get back to the roster, Robin Ventura's like, nah. <laughs> like, just, and like, no, nobody felt bad about him leaving. Just the other, yeah, I think Marcus Semyon was the only one who had anything to say about him leaving. And it's because he was a rookie and uh, there's a microphone in front of him. And he said like, yeah, Kevin Drew was good to me as a rookie. And then that's all he had to say. So yeah, probably Kevin is the gold standard of getting paid. My other parts of my plan. So the other big one, the big free agent signing signed Jordan Montgomery. We talked about it in our previous episodes uh, when we recapped the 2023 season for the White Sox starting pitchers. Well, we talked about it, set up the offseason plan project podcast. So if you haven't started your offseason plan, that's a great podcast episode to listen to as Jim and I walk through as far as some of the key decision making and some of the key targets. This is a key target for me. We've talked about it. He has in the last three seasons been very consistent for multiple teams, as he's been a hot trade commodity, he now wins a World Series reign with the Texas Rangers, and he could help someone like Dylan Cease man the starting rotation, 30-plus starts, 180-plus innings. Yes, there are those, especially our friend Beeflo from the 108, that want to raise a red flag and say he has pitched a 20% increase in innings because of this postseason, so beware of regression in 2024. I totally buy that. Uh, that definitely is a thing, especially for pitchers that have a heavy workload like Jordan Montgomery did have. But this is a strong starting pitching class for free agents, a horrible free agent class for position players. We'll get to them in a moment. I can't help myself but laugh. Uh, and uh, Jordan Montgomery can help at least get the starting rotation back in order. And even, you, even if you do believe in what the White Sox had acquired the trade deadline, Jim, uh, for those pitching prospects. Jordan Montgomery could still be there to help lead the mantle, even if you can't re-sign Dylan Cease, because it's going to take a four- or five-year contract to sign Jordan Montgomery. So what do you think about Jordan Montgomery as my big free agent signing in the offseason plan? I share the concerns of just him uh, having a little bit of overwork to deal with, especially like if he goes to the White Sox, they need every single start out of him uh, to maximize their win potential. But 
I like him in terms of if you're gunning for 2024 on paper, but also like 2025 or 26 is more important to you. I think he's probably one of the value pitchers here. Like if you're not going to spend Blake Snell money or Aaron Nola money, then probably Montgomery might be your next best bet signing mm-hmm. a pitcher this year to help in 2026. Like he seems like, you know, he's gained velocity. He's not uh, getting by on craft and guile. He's got a couple of different fastballs that he can lean on depending on which way, uh, which one's working better and which way league trends are going. So I like his profile to last. He's made every single starts that you, you want to make over the last couple of years. So that's why I think I'm for it, but I do share beef's concerns of like, just, yeah, a lot of work and just might catch up to him at some point. And uh, then it comes down to the White Sox sixth and seventh starters, which, as we know, uh, has been a problem. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been a problem. But this is a classic example of, well, we may not be in position to take advantage of Jordan Montgomery in 2024. That's fine because you have to sign him to a long-term deal. If you have any hopes of being good in 25, 26, or even 27, you're going to need a pitcher like Jordan Montgomery to help lead the starting rotation. You can't dictate when guys are going to be free agents from other teams. Other teams or those players dictate when they're going to be available. Jordan Montgomery is available now. Go sign him. You have the budget to do so. You have a lot of money coming off the books next year and even have more money coming off the books in 2026. I think this is a worthy investment for the White Sox to make Jordan Montgomery their big free agent signing. And hey, they want to surprise me and they want to go sign Aaron Nola or Blake Snell. Hey, I will not stop them. That'll be fantastic ideas as well. Uh, but Jordan Montgomery was my target in the offseason plant project. All right. Now this is where it gets comical. Uh, the short-term deals. This is where things get a little loony. My short-term deals. Signing Kevin Kiermeyer to play right field. We talked about that. We both think that was a good idea. <laughs> the middle infield. Man, letting Tim Anderson go at $14 million, So you buy him out. That's $13 million. I take 10 and a half of that and sign <laughs> Paul DeYoung and Tony Kemp as the middle infield. So the White Sox with my plan having the worst middle infield in major league baseball with Tim Anderson and Elvis Andrews going to the worst middle infield of major league baseball, but cheaper in Paul Dion and Tony Kemp. The good news is that Paul Dion is a better defensive shortstop than Tim Anderson. So at least that is where I'm hoping to get some value uh, signing. I changed my mind. Cause you made a good point. Mitch Garver, Probably not a catcher DH only. So I signed Gary Sanchez and then to help fill out the starting rotation, Kent Maeda and Alex Wood. All right, Jim, what do you think about my strategy of going crazy on the short-term signings and free agency? It's not inspiring, but I can see where you're coming <laughs> from. Like just because like you're trying to get the White Sox to do something well. And so, like, when it comes to Kiermaier, uh, DeYoung, and Kemp to a lesser extent, like, that's a better defensive team, especially Kiermaier and Robert in the same outfield. Like, you're trying to find a way to beat projections or, you know, in the case of beating projections, usually it comes down to bullpen, maximizing leads and winning one-run games, like doing a lot with a little in terms of uh, runs scored. So that is probably the best 
bet to do it with the money you have available and with the talent that's available on the open market. Uh, but yeah, it reminds me a little bit of like one or two years into a dynasty mode or uh, playing like MLB, the show, the road mode, where all of a sudden, like you look at the White Sox free agents leave and it's like, they just sign anybody to one year contracts. And then like after three years, the team's unrecognizable because it's just one year contracts, one year contracts. And it's just all of a sudden, like, I guess, I guess Tony Kemp starting like Tony Kemp can start. Well, he's got a rating of 74, <laughs> but everybody else has a rating of 67 and below. So I guess Tony Kemp is starting. And that's kind of what it reminds me of just um, formulaic fill in the gap type uh, approach to, we need to fill a 26 man roster with major league talent. And these theoretically are, majorly talented players. I think the trick or not the trick, but the, the trap of trick or trap uh, trap of replacing somebody like Tim Anderson and, and beef mentioned this in the comments saying young is bad in a, in a two win upgrade on Tim Anderson. When somebody's as bad as Anderson is, and we've seen this with right field and DH in previous years. Like if you go from like really, really, really bad to bad, it's still bad. Like you don't feel that improvement. Like if you're off the charts awful and you fill in somebody who's just like ordinarily mediocre, it doesn't resonate it, in, in terms of like how you build a team, like maybe results in like, uh, you know, it's if you have that hitter batting ninth or whatever, the, over the course of the season, uh, then you know, maybe you'll be okay in the end. But when you look at the, the bench you have because of the money you have to spend <laughs> to get started out, like you need these guys to produce well enough to like beat projections. In that case, like it's probably not going to work. Uh, but yeah, let's get to that bench. <laughs> I didn't even bother making a slide for okay. the bench because it's just, uh, yeah. it's just, I just, my reaction right now, just laughter. That's what it was when I was writing up the plan, like the bench, who cares? Like, I'm, I'm honestly just thinking about, you know what? Hey, you're paying Lurie Garcia five and a half million dollars. Why not? You know, you can put on a uniform and pretend. So my bench I, right I've now. I've been like a, in like, out of shape, Larry Garcia. Cause like you, you can always say about the guy who's always in like great shape. I'm just picturing him like 40 pounds overweight, the spare tire, uh, trying to like fit into his old uniform. Like, cause he's been just having, uh, uh just like too many, uh, beach days or something like that. Like I'd, I'd, I'd want to see that like uh stubble cigarette dangling out of his mouth. Uh, old time yeah. spring training where you use the six weeks to actually get in shape. So Corey Lee is the backup catcher with my plan. So your catcher should be Gary Sanchez and Corey Lee. Gavin Sheets is still around because he's cheap. 740000 He's still getting paid a league minimum. He still doesn't qualify for arbitration. So I'm sure he'll stick around. Uh, and then, you know, whoever wins the triple cage fight between Zach Revelar and Romy Gonzalez. Oh, God. Oh my gosh. I just, I can't even finish. Uh, whoever else, I just plugged in random names uh, for for the bench. All $740,000. Don't even bother investing in any bench players to start the season. Again, the headline is faux contention plan. And that's what this is. Like if things click and the vibes are good, you got a lot of veterans on this team. <laughs> Maybe you have a good April and May and perhaps it changes some minds and you try to run with it as long as you possibly can. If it doesn't work out, well, then, yeah, you can have a fire sale again at the trade deadline. You buy half a season for your player development, brand new people in charge of that. 
Move aside, Paul Dion. It's Colson Montgomery time. No qualms with that. No headaches. No hurting anyone's feelings. Everyone knows the agenda. So that's what I was aiming for with my off-season plan. Like a little bit of investment in hiring counsel and Jordan Montgomery, but to fill out the rest of the roster, short-term deals, sign aging veterans, promise them starting gigs, which you could provide starting gigs, and that could be a better selling point than being mm-hmm. a, a platoon guy or a bench bat or a swing guy in someone's bullpen. Uh, yeah, I, I think when it comes to this roster, you have to have somebody like Council because like I'm picturing Pedro Grafal like <laughs> managing an influx of veterans who have all been successful to like winning you know World Series titles with other teams. And all of a sudden coming in the White Sox, like, yeah, now you're going to get exposed to our culture. And like, what culture? Like, I could just picture a lot of eye rolls and d- dismissive hand gestures behind his back. when He's trying to uh, bring in, integrate all these uh, veteran free agents into the fold. So it would take a uh, an accomplished manager who would actually have the respect of these players versus like players on one year deal looking to <laughs> for for bigger yeah. deals ahead. Like I could see just Griffal caving in and, because you know he uh, appeals to Jerry Reinsdorf just not getting fired and just being 2016 all over again in terms of uh, except without like Adam LaRoche's kid involved. Yeah, and there's a lot of comments that I see here, like with Trey Williams, the YouTube stream. So your plan is to sign a manager uh, and a center fielder that won't sign here, overpay for a starter who won't be good when our new core is up, and replace Anderson with Dion. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, you want me? I could be completely honest and. Be like, yeah, you just want to skip baseball in 2024? Like, that's not the point of the plan. We've been, been, (laughs) I mean, the point of the offseason plan is how do you build a contending team with what you got on hand? And that's why I love the ideas that people are bringing up with their offseason plans. This is one, a horrible free agent market, especially the position player side. Like, you couldn't time this any worse if you're trying to rebuild a middle infield. Like, you just could not. and I think everyone is on the same plane here. It's like, yeah, we got to build a team to play in 2024 season. Your boss wants to contend. He's 87 years old, but he still wants to contend. So you got to please his demands, but you can't sacrifice anything that could impact 2025. Like, how do you balance that? And that's why this offseason plan has been harder than more recent seasons. Yeah, And I don't and, want to be realistic you know, that, because, one, we don't know yeah. yet with the front office and what Jerry wants to actually own, or I should say wants to be able to spend. Uh, a, a realistic White Sox plan, I don't think you guys want to hear what that realistic White Sox plan is going to be. You may like my offseason plan a lot better than what the reality of what this team looks like in February. Yeah, and it's more, you know, when it comes to the offseason plan, too, it's more about, like, Hey, that's a decent argument for a free agent, or that's a good trade idea. So, like, even if the plan entirely doesn't make sense, it's like putting the ideas out there that, that like, oh, I'm going to borrow from this plan. I'm going to borrow from this plan. Like, this might be a workable path. So, it's basically like uh, a thousand monkeys at typewriters, you know, when it comes to trying to. <laughs> plan. Like, you might be able to get like a, a, you know, one roster that actually breaks through and wins the World Series based on all these plans coming together. So, that's the idea. So, that's why, like, you know, when it comes to Kevin Kiermaier, like, 
yeah, like probably won't sign the White Sox, but like you can make an argument for signing him and like you can make the argument for putting funds towards them. So make the argument and then we'll see how it weighs against uh, or how it balances out against uh, all the other needs that this team has. But yeah, in this case, like this is one way to do it. It just uh, requires like, you know, it, it's a little bit like the 2005 White Sox. And if Rick Hahn were still running this team, say, well, we had a little bit of a team that yeah. out in one year deals and that team did pretty well. I seem to remember. And like everybody rolling their eyes because it, it, that, it's failed every other time he's tried it, but like, that's the argument he would make. <laughs> so you could do the same thing here and just, uh, you know, say like, yeah, we, no, nobody wanted Jermaine die on a, uh, for more than two years and nobody thought AJ Pruszynski was going to do like, and on and on and on. So yeah, it is the return plan. So there you go. Uh, Trey's counter to what I just said was that my team's a 90 lost team. And I agree, but you know what? I'm going to be a little Steve Stone here. That's an 11 win proofment, Trey. That's a big jump <laughs> in Major League Baseball. So if my horrible team for this offseason plan wins 11 more games than the 2023 roster did, I'm chalking that up as a W, especially with how poor my offseason plan was last year. <laughs> I just, the only way, the only realistic way for the 2024 White Sox to really bounce back and win the American League Central, Jim Reinsdorf's going to need to spend like the Texas Rangers. And to come full circle this podcast episode, the Rangers have provided the blueprint. Like, you want to dramatically change things? Spend half a billion dollars on Aaron Nola and Blake Snell and roll in with C. Snell and Nola to start your rotation. Go sign Cody Bellinger. Go sign Shohei Otani to like a two-year contract because nobody really knows what's going to happen with Tommy John, but pay him $40 million to be your DH. Like really, really spend some serious yeah. cash to change the outcome of your team. And if you're not willing to do that, then yeah, you got to piecemeal everything together and then hope for the best. Yeah, give Shohei Otani a 15-year contract with an opt-out after two years. <laughs> that's basically what, he, yeah. what the White Sox have to do. But like, they, you know, that's a case of like uh, with Manny Machado, like they did not want to give him the opt out. Like Manny Machado on a five year, what was it? A hundred and trying to think of what the deal ended up being like 140 million or something like that. What first something five like years that. of his deal. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, like that would have been the perfect signing for him and like him, like, you know, opting out. Sure. Go leave. Like that's why we wanted to sign you to five years in the first place. So great. But you know, Reinsdorf <laughs> is so hell bent on like just making sure he cedes nothing to players or to labor being an opt out as a concession to labor. So he won't do that. The white Sox won't do that. They could have probably done that for Bryce Harper and didn't want to. Uh, so yeah. they just ignored yeah. him altogether. So yeah, the Phillies didn't give him an opt out, but I mean like if the white Sox offered him an opt out, like probably, you know, would have come down a price. So yeah, it just, there's so many things the white Sox could do to play, uh, in that kind of pool uh, that doesn't require them like breaking the bank or ruining their budget for years because teams can teams often can get out from under those deals. Uh, if it starts going sideways, there's always another team that has another bad deal to trade itself. And sometimes you can, you know, uh, salvage a situation some and the white Sox just, you know, they just rule it out. And so they have to get by on, cutting corners and development and they can't develop and they don't cut corners well. So that's why they're just kind of stuck in this. Like we can pay for, we can overpay for decent players 
And that's about it. Yeah, we got this comment from Dark Sage on Twitch, which we do have a Twitch channel. Jerry Reinsdorf, I want to win now. Also, Jerry Reinsdorf, eh, maybe next year. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that is. We don't have a year to waste. Much also, I work. Yeah, it's like, we don't have a year to waste. Also, we wasted the last six years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but again, if you haven't submitted your off-season plan, you can still do so. Go at SoxMachine.com. If you don't like my plan, I don't like my plan. But that's what I'm rolling with for this upcoming off-season yeah, for the White be Sox. Be another monkey. I, yeah, I, I do have to say, though, my plan, seven free agent signings, a firing of a manager, and hiring a new manager, Jim... What a great off-season that is from a content-making perspective. We'd be busy all the way to March. We'd be taken care of. Wouldn't have to worry about if the White Sox were to do anything in January. Like, my plan would keep us very busy. Yeah, be so, the change you want to see there. there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Again, you go to SoxMachine.com to still submit your off-season plans. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for watching. And for those that are watching the live stream, our friends over at From the 108 are going to be start streaming at 8 p.m. Central Time. You can go visit their channel at youtube.com slash from the 108 and start watching them on what is now must-see Thursdays for White Sox Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's as far as with the promos. And again, if you just discovered Sox Machine Live or the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to Socks Machine Live whenever we have new videos. We'll continue to produce more videos during the off-season. Go to YouTube.com slash Socks Machine and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we always take the audio versions of Socks Machine Live and upload it into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Socks Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. We're on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky. We're at Socks Machine. You can follow me on those platforms as well at Socks Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. We have our Socks Machine Town Hall presentation for our Patreon supporters next week. Uh, so again, a great example of getting more from us as we open up the curtain to talk about our upcoming plans for 2024 and beyond monthly plans start at two dollars so we could save with an annual subscription again sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine socks machine live is a production of socksmachine.com you're for all things chicago white Sox baseball and part of the blue wire podcast network alongside jim margulis i'm josh nelson thanks for watching and listening Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.